Like I said, we're in Ephesians 6 this morning, 10 through 17. Now, as you look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, this is probably one of those uh, passages you heard preached a number of times as a child. And somebody might have had a, like a flannel gram or something on the board, and they've got this guy, and they start putting little pieces of armor on. And, and so that's, that's kind of how you remember this. And maybe somebody said something to you at some point about spiritual warfare, and you remember them being kind of awkward, and that was an odd lunch that you never want to do again. And since then, you've signed off on ever going to Wendy's, because that's all you associate with that place was that lunch. Well, today we're going to try and, 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 and build on one of those and help you to further forget the other. But coming to this section on Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, what I want you to understand is this is not exceptional Christianity. This is not exceptional, rare, like one in a million Christianity. As Paul lays this out, he's just moved through this household code. So he's just talked to wives, he's just talked to husbands, he's just talked to children, he's just talked to to slaves and masters, and so he's hit everyone in first century Roman church family. And he rolls right out of the ordinary, what you might consider mundane, to normal Christian stuff. Normal Christian stuff. This is not exceptional. This is not just for those who attend an AOG church. This is not just for our Pentecostal friends. This is for all believers in Jesus Christ. Do you understand me? Let me read 10 through 17, and then we will begin to unpack it together. Paul, starting in verse 10, he says, Finally, you know a preacher's almost done when he says this, and you can almost be sure that he's lying to you, but he says, Finally, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He comes back again. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So as we come into this, we recognize that for some of you, your exposure to spiritual warfare uh, is kind of ends with watching the exorcism, right? And so seeing a head spin around and vomit come out. And so, and for others of you, you just kind of, you think back to this really simplistic deal of of being uh, equipped, of being armed, but there is so much more in this passage. Look how he begins. Finally, and so he gives us an an indication that he's headed towards wrapping up this letter. Look what he says. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Paul has made it through this description of how he has moved the believer, how God has moved the believer from death to life, how the believer is meant meant to work in the midst of their family structure, and he comes to them, and he's heading towards the finish line, and he comes to us, and he says, be strong in the Lord. This gives us this amazing picture 
Because when we look at this word, we understand that it is not a strength that we derive. It's not some type of of empowering that we bring upon ourselves. We are weak. We are feeble. We are given to wander. And what he is in sense writing here is that we are to be strengthened by God. What a relief. What a relief. If I were to come to you and tell you that when you began your Christian walk, when God saved you, that it was on you to carry through all the way to the end. What an overwhelming burden that would be for you. What an impossible burden that would be for you. But for so many of us, that's how we feel. We feel like we came to faith, and from that moment, we've been nothing but a disappointment to God. Nothing but a disappointment. That we, we we, we, We do well one day, we do poorly the next day, and when he comes to us, recognizing our weakness, he writes to us, almost recognizing our dependency upon self and our repeated feelings of of disappointment that we've somehow disappointed God and he comes to us who are weak. He comes to us who knees are scratched up and he comes to us and he says, be strong in the Lord. Quit trying to strengthen yourself. Rest on the totally completed, finished work of Jesus Christ. Rest on him. Look what he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have surrendered your life to him, he extends to you strength. And you look at that and we we begin to wonder how we might put that in and and, and what what are the limits, what are the depths of this strength if we flip back to Ephesians 1 and verses 19 and 20. Paul wrote, he says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us, towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might, this is how God demonstrates the extent of his great might. Verse 20. It is by this great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The strength that is available to the Christian in the midst of overwhelming odds and seeming opposition is the strength, the might displayed that God used to raise his son to his right hand. The strength and might available to you, Christian, is the same strength that God displayed when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand, fully declaring victory over death, victory over sin. He calls us to appropriate that for ourselves. He calls us to walk in that reality. He calls us in the midst of tremendous difficulty to rest in that strength. And it is that strength that is the source and substance of the armoring. Look what he goes on to say. It is from this place of being strengthened, it is from this place of resting on his might, that verse 11, that we are to put on the entire, the complete armor of God. And this is the first place he rolls this out. This, this armor, this protective covering that is whose? It's not ours. It's not a gather yourself, a group of people that can protect you. No, you are to gather for yourself the armor tested, tried, approved, and assigned you by God himself. One of the things that we would be, we would be completely amiss for if, if we did not realize and did not understand is that as Paul is writing this, He's not meaning to conjure in our minds the picture of ourselves being decked out in this armor. And so for many of you this morning, this is kind of what you see. It's it's you 
and, and I don't know what you're wearing because you don't have anything else but this armor that you're about to put on. And so it's you in your mind, and you know Paul's getting ready to tell you to put on a belt, to put on some shoes, to grab up a shield, to put on a breastplate and all these things. But for most of us, in our minds, you're alone. You're alone. And so in your mind, you read this, and you say, he's telling me to put on these things, but what I would have you observe, what I would have you know, is that he's writing it to the entire church. And so it's not you holding up the front line of defense. It's not you battling everything, you know, all on your own. It's not that God came to you and said, Steve, I need a spiritual Rambo. Like, would you take the big Bowie knife in your mouth, and would you go out and, and just raid hell? Would you do this for me? Like, that's not what he did. And Steve's like, oh, man, I'm so glad. I don't know how he never cut his mouth with that knife. He's not calling us to be lone commandos for the kingdom. He's calling us together, effectively coming to us and saying, church, be equipped. Body of believers, be equipped. Church, would you stand? Would you appropriate for yourself this strength? Would you put on for yourselves this armor? And would you stand arm in arm? Would you stand shoulder to shoulder against the gates of hell? And can I tell you that it is impossible to stand lest we put on this armor? Can I tell you that it is impossible to stand lest we appropriate for ourselves the strength of the Lord? I don't care if you spend all day, every day reading God's word, but never praying for him to strengthen you. You will never be strengthened. You might be a Bible scholar, but far off from him. You might know more than everyone in this room and still be not saved. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then the strength is available to you by the power of his spirit. He calls you to make it for yourself and to display it in the putting on of his armor. We are strengthened. We are putting on his armor. And why? Because he tells us that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The whole reason that we need to be strengthened, the whole reason we need to put on this armor is because we have a real enemy who is waging war against us. You see, some of us have, have mistakenly assigned different enemies in our culture, and so we go, and so some of you are diehard Republicans, like you have little R's all over your underwear. It's just unhealthy. It's just unhealthy. Your pillows are embossed with an R. Like, I don't know what that's about. You should stop that. Some of us have made people our enemies. We watch the videos of Planned Parenthood and we think those doctors, they are our enemy. Those nurses, they are our enemies. Those people that go on television, they are our enemies. This is the third time that Satan has been brought up in the book of Ephesians. And do you know the first time he got brought up was Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins, verse one, following the power of the prince of the power of the air, verse two. You and I once followed this. You and I were once enemies of God. That was our reality. We're not battling against humanity, we're battling against the, the impact, the influence of Satan visited upon humanity. It's a subtle distinction, but it's tremendously important. Because from that, we can value those we oppose. Oppose them? Absolutely. Call for Planned Parenthood to be defunded? Sure enough. 
write your senator, write your congressman, write these people, call elected officials, get on Twitter and Facebook and every other way to contact them to ask that this evil might be brought down? Absolutely. Should you do that as a believer in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Should you go home instead this afternoon and take a nap? Never. If you have not yet contacted those elected officials we have placed in office and called upon them to defund Planned Parenthood, I know exactly what you're doing this afternoon. We absolutely have to stand against this. We can value people and still move against the agendas that Satan would have them follow. We put on the armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Back in chapter 2, back in chapter 2, the second place he began to speak about Satan. He talked about him in terms of, 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 of him working against the church, working against the believers in the church. And he's, he's, he's calling us not to fall against those things that he's leading us in. We've got to stand against Satan. But we've got to do it by putting on this armor. Look what he goes on to say. This is why I can tell you that we do not stand against those. We stand against, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. There's something so much more divisive, so much more damaging than those people we see that hold opinions contrary to our own, different than our own. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Paul is calling us, he's trying to awaken us to the reality of something so much more devastating, so much more difficult, so much more damning. Look what he says instead we wrestle against. We wrestle against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In a very real sense, our battle is not against those we see, but it's against those we don't see. Recognize that, that there is more than those things that you're able to take in with your eyes. There, there is a spiritual plane um, where things are happening that we cannot see. This is what he's calling us to. Where do these things transpire? They transpire in the heavenly places. They transpire, interestingly enough, in the same place where Jesus Christ reigns as king. Where Jesus Christ reigns as king. And where he has placed us to six alongside himself. These spiritual forces, these authorities, these rulers, these cosmic powers, they are ruling over this present darkness. We don't war against flesh and blood. We don't demonize them. We don't seek to tear them down, say bad things about their mothers. We're warring against those in authority over them. Those that Jesus Christ has already declared victory over. So he comes again in verse 13. And effectively, he's giving us the lay of the land. He's giving us exactly who we're engaged in warfare against. And, 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 and almost in Paul's mind, he's saying, look, you know, you understand the reality of the predicament you face. Now, he, he's writing to a first century Christian audience, and for many of them, they likely saw the Roman Empire as the prime evil. Right? And he saw the Roman Empire as the prime evil, as many of you see our president as the prime evil. I mean, it's true. I read your Facebook, I hear your comments. Some of you, 
I mean, like, it's as if you think that if he were removed and, and those people that are working for his agenda were removed, that just life spring and like everything would be better. And the American flag would be broadcast on the White House. And, and, and somebody would be elected to office that would hold Bible study for all of the staffers. And he would move through both, both of the houses and he would stand in the Senate and he would, he would have this Bible study. He'd lay out John 3.16 and everybody would bow their head and come to faith. And he would go to the UN and he, and he would tell them, he'd say, look, you guys are humanists. And he would lay out the gospel and they'd all say, you know you're right. And they would bow their heads and they would all profess faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you think that that is the way this is going to play out. And that's what you're setting your hopes and your dreams upon. Satan's always going to find people to use. And those people that he uses, those people that he is using for his purposes, is anyone and everyone outside of Jesus. It's your unsaved grandmother your unsaved husband or wife. They are your children. Some of them are elected officials. There are people made in the image and the likeness of God, but we recognize that what he calls us to do is to engage that, the influence on their lives, these spiritual realities impacting them, hitting them in their lives. So he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in this evil day. It's not our ability to rally support. It's not our ability to call our elected officials and get them to change legislation that enables us to stand today as believers in faith in Jesus Christ. Recognize that just as many Christians paid the ultimate price before us in surrendering their life, but yet still they stood. What enables us to stand in the face of tremendous opposition is the empowering of God. He calls us again. He says, take up the whole armor. Be strengthened. Put on the armor. Take up the whole armor. And it is in this empowering, it is in this taking up the armor of God that we are able to stand. It's not your ability to demonstrate intestinal fortitude. It's not your ability to, to withstand tremendous opposition. It is God's empowering of you. It's God's empowering of us. We should be constantly caught up with the prayer of God, strengthen us, God, equip us. It's not our ability to stand on our own. It is God's ability to infuse us with the ability to stand. That's why he writes there at the end, he says, having done all, effectively appropriating for yourself the strength of God, taking on the armor of God, having done all, all, we are able to stand. Unfortunately, some of us act like we've been knocked flat on our backs and all the air expelled from our lungs. We don't know what to do next. We're, we're wandering around. How do, how do we affect all these things that we're observing? How do we bring righteousness? How do we do these things? We don't. God does. We don't. God does. God might use some of us. He might use some of us to surrender our lives. He might use other, others of us to grandstand in the face of tremendous opposition. But these are, God, these are things that God is doing through us, not us doing without God. Now, he's talked a couple of times about taking on the armor of God. But look, he calls us again in verse 14, and now he's going to describe 
all of the various pieces of this armament. Verse 14, it seems important to Paul that we stand. And so this is the overwhelming verbal idea in this. And so he gives this command. He says, stand. As if you came into a room and you were calling people to attention and you said, stand. Show me the most manly, the most defiant posture you've got. Stand. This is what he's telling them. Prepare yourself for battle. And then he describes all the various ways that they are equipped and outfitted. And so he comes to them. And he says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. We recognize the truth that there is one God and one King. This, this truth we live and die for. That God sent his son, Jesus, to die in humanity's stead, so that all who believe and have faith in him might be forgiven and have life everlasting. Amen? Amen. We rest in the truth, not that humanity is able to overcome tremendous odds, but that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has overcome sin and death and, and gives to humanity the ability to be forgiven. We wear this around our waist, this belt of truth. And everything is hinging on this. Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees in John 8, 32, told them that if they would know the truth, the truth would do what? It would set them free. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, you who know the truth, the truth has set you free. Stop seeking to enslave yourself with the entrapments of this world. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we know those around us are enslaved. We know they are entrapped. Communicate this truth to them. Do so in kindness. Do so graciously. But absolutely do so. Stand therefore, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Imagine wearing this breastplate, wearing this either uh, coat of mail, or wearing this, this emblem on our chest which declares our righteousness before God, that he has looked at us. And when he looked at us, he saw the blood of Jesus. And on the basis of this, he imputes to us, he gives to us his righteousness. Not that he set up some difficult set of tasks or missions for us to accomplish, at the end of which he said, okay, you've done those things and now you are saved. Now you are righteous. In believing in Jesus Christ and having faith in him, we are imputed, we are given righteous standing in Jesus Christ and we wear it upon our chest. And he calls on us to walk the reality of that. To live in the reality of works completed, but to walk out the implication of that the remainder of our lives. That's why we display righteousness. Stand therefore. Stand therefore, verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The gospel has made for us peace between us and God. Amen? The gospel has made for us a way to be forgiven. The gospel has made for us a cessation of violence between us and God. He looks at us and he sees us hidden in Jesus. He sees Jesus dwelling inside of us. And so the very basis of what we stand on is the gospel. Now, occasionally the Roman soldiers would take in their shoes and they would have 
uh, kind of first century cleats, either nails or small studs sticking out from their shoes. And what this would enable them to do was just stand against the onslaught of the enemy and to move quickly on the ground. Our shoes, the very characteristic of our shoes, is the enwrapment of the gospel, this gospel of peace. It is our sure footing. It's the firmament upon which we stand. We rest upon nothing else but the gospel. He goes next and he says, in all circumstances, take up this shield of faith. Now this shield could cover from from neck almost down to feet. And so we see it covering the entire body as they would stand there behind this field. This shield could withstand onslaught. This shield could withstand onslaught. And what Paul writes is he says in verse 16, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. To be a Christian is to be opposed to Satan. To be a Christian is to be on a hit list for Satan. To be on a Christian is to place yourself on the very front lines, shoulder to shoulder with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and to say to, the, to, say to Satan, I am your enemy because I ally myself with Jesus. And we've been given this shield in faith. With faith we are united with God. Abraham believed in God and it was reckoned him as righteousness. He became a believer by faith. We believe in Jesus Christ by this demonstration of faith and we are united with him. Faith is our covering. Gracious gift extended to us by Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. His rising again and being seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. This shield. The shield which allows us to stand against the flaming darts of the evil. Those people that knew you before that come to you and say, this is just a phase, this is just something you're going through, you're going to be right back with us before long. These people that come to us, they remind us of the way that it was when we were dead before we came to life and faith in Jesus Christ. And they say that you were a drunk, you were a pornographer, you were a homosexual, you were a thief, you were a liar, you were a cheat. Throw all of our past deeds back up in our face. Throw all of our failures up back in our faces. The shield of faith is our protection. The shield of faith is a reminder to us that it is not by our display of good that we have overcome, but by Jesus' supreme display of good in dying on the cross to suffer the punishment for our sins, for our failures, for our misgivings and missteps. This faith, it covers all. Look what he says next. Stand therefore and take up the helmet of salvation. Paul is asking us to appropriate that which we have already been awarded in Jesus Christ. If you have believed, if you have heard, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, then he has brought to you salvation and he's calling on you to wear salvation as a helmet. This bold demonstration of your faith in Jesus Christ that that we are to 
consciously be certain that we are appropriating for ourselves, consciously be sure that we are availing ourselves of, consciously be sure that we are demonstrating, that we are living out, that we are wearing out, wear this helmet of salvation. Now it's interesting. Paul moves in the absolutely only offensive weapon in this whole arsenal. That's what he says next. Now, those that have written on this and commentators have spilled a lot of ink, certainly on this, and they say, well, you know, you could use the shield and you could knock somebody down or you could headbutt them with the helmet or you could take these cleated shoes and you could really mess somebody's groin up with that. But the only purposely offensive weapon in this whole thing is what he says next. He says, it is the sword of the Spirit. Look what he goes on to say. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Now this is one of the amazing things as we go through these armaments, as we go through these different ways that God has equipped the Christian to stand, to be strong, and to take up his armor is that as we go through these, what I want you to recognize is that the book of Isaiah has not been silent on this. This armor that we're supposed to be taking up is God's armor. And so writing of of his coming Messiah, he wrote these words in Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. And there shall come uh, forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch of his root shall bear fruit, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. In the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. You see, God's Messiah, his chosen one, described as wearing some of this same or similar armor. It's tested by the Messiah. And then finally, in Isaiah 59, we see that this armor is also tested by God. Isaiah 59, 17 through 20 This whole part of 59 talks about the failures of his people, how they've walked away, that none is doing anything righteous, that they're all seeking after evil. And God comes in and he's going to set the record straight. He's going to reestablish himself. So in verse 17 he says, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. God has tested the armor he entrusts to the church. God has tested the armor he entrusts to the church. He has worn it in battle. He knows of its strength. He knows of its vitality. He knows of its ability to withstand the enemy. He knows of its ability to defeat the enemy. So he comes to the church. He comes to the church and the only offensive weapon he gives us is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, in which we read in 2 Timothy 3.16, 
2 Timothy 3.16, we read that the word of God is all, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The word of God that we read in Hebrews 4.12 that is a living and active, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of the spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, the only offensive weapon given to the church was, has been used against us already. Do you recognize that? You and I were once enemies of God. You and I were once completely set against God, following our own way. And Ephesians 2.2 says that we were following our internal, external appetites and, and supernatural influences. We were following the prince of the power of the air. But at some point, someone came to us. And they used the only offensive weapon ever given to the church outside of Jesus. They used the word of God. And in Ephesians 1.13, that when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and believed in him, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The end of spiritual warfare is salvation of the lost. The end of spiritual warfare is the redemption of humanity. The only offensive weapon he gives us was used against us when we were lost. And it produced life in us, not death. We were already dead, and it has made us alive. So as we come down and we look at this passage, we understand that we're in one of two camps. Either you're a believer in faith in Jesus Christ, and in that you are called to be a warrior. To put on the armor that God has tested, that he's entrusted to you, and to wield the only offensive weapon he gives you for this battle, his word. And his word is bringing life in the dead people you encounter. His word is producing life in them just as it has produced life in you. And then the other group of people we recognize are those who are still in opposition at odds with God. And friends, if that is you, God would have you to submit yourself to him. To hear his gracious word come to you that you might be forgiven your sins, that you've been made in the image and the likeness of God, that you with all humanity fell with Adam, but that God sent his son to redeem you so that you might be forgiven your sin, and that Jesus died for your punishment for your sins. And he overcame sin and death for you, and he calls on you to hear, to believe, and to have faith in the one who has accomplished this for you, and to cry out for salvation. We have two camps, and the course is set for both. One, to use the word of God graciously to engage and interact with those who oppose it, and the other, to find themselves in full submission to God because of his word. Let's pray.
Father, I pray this morning that you would move in the lives of your church. God, that you would call your church to demonstrate life, to be strong, to put on your armor that you have tested, that you have demonstrated its worthiness. And God, we pray also for those who are still set apart from you. God, that you would continue to to use your spirit to stir in their hearts, to call them into truth, that you would awaken their affections for you. You Thank you that you are good, that you are gracious, that you raise up your church as an army to go forward with a message of hope and not condemnation. God, because your army is populated by people who are formerly opposed to you, that you have made alive and well. We know what it is to be forgiven. And so we are able to, to call others to experience forgiveness found in Jesus Christ and him alone. Father, we ask that you would move in our midst, that you would continue to stir in our hearts. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.